needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Good morning, everyone. It's my pleasure to share God's word with you today. We are continuing our series in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we titled this series, The Church Growing in Truth and Love. There's been so much timely, challenging teaching from God's Word over these past couple months, and that just shows us that God's Word is relevant from when the time it was written, way back in A.D. 53 or 54, all the way up to today in 2020. God has a good word for us this morning, so let's pray and get started. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. Thank you that you showed us and demonstrated what true love is. We invite, Holy Spirit, your presence to be here with us, your power and your presence to speak to us, to speak through me, Thank you that we will hear what you need us to hear, and thank you for the strength that you will give us to apply what we're going to hear. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like Elsa mentioned, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning, what is called the love chapter. And over the course of this message, I have two questions that we're going to talk about. The first one is this, why? Love. Everyone say that. Why? Love. And then the next question is this. Why love? Everyone say that. Why love? So I'm going to begin by reading through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to start with um, a little bit of chapter 12 and end with a little bit of chapter 14. Then we'll go back and make some comments and explain what this is talking about, what it means. And then we'll go back, answer those questions, and make some application. I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version of the Bible. It's not going to be on the screen, so I encourage you to open your paper Bible or pull up your Bible on a device. I'm reading out of the New International Version of the Bible. So we're going to start with um, chapter 12, verse 31, that says this. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing." Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, 
always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. The first thing that I'd like you to notice about chapter 13 is the context. Verse, or chapter 12, verse 31, and then 14, 1. 13 is obviously right in the middle. Chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts, and then chapter 14 talks about the specific gifts of prophecy and of tongues. Notice that 13 is right in the middle. So what that shows us is the context is the necessity of using the gifts with love, okay? Paul tells us in in chapter 12, verse 31, that he's going to show us the most excellent way. Now, that word excellent means beyond measure or preeminent. Now, when something is preeminent, it means that it ranks and, and it has superior rank or importance. It's far superior to anything else. So Paul's telling us that love is the preeminent way in the church. It outranks even any spiritual gift. Paul then goes on to give us some examples in verses 1 to 3 about how love outranks spiritual gifts. And he uses a literary device called hyperbole. Now, that word hyperbole simply means extravagant exaggeration. He uses extravagant exaggeration to make his point, and any good preacher knows how to use extravagant exaggeration to make his point, right, Mark? That's right. Okay, so let's look and see what his extravagant exaggerations are. First of all, in verse 1, he says, if I speak in the languages of men and angels, which that's exaggeration, he would not be able to do that, but I do it without love, like Elsa showed us, it's just a clanging gong or resounding cymbal. Verse 2, if I were able to understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and had faith to move mountains, again, extravagant exaggeration, if I did that without love, the knowledge and faith would amount to nothing. Then finally, in verse 3, Paul says, if I give all I possess to the poor and turn my body over to hardship, but I do it without love, he gains nothing of value. So these verses here show us that love is far superior than any spiritual gift or even any selfless act that we could do. Because if it's not motivated by love, it has zero value. 
that is kind of a, a bitter pill to swallow, but it's the truth. This is what the scripture is teaching us, that everything needs to be motivated by love. Then in verses 4 through 8, the beginning of 8, Paul uses some very descriptive words to show us what love is, what love looks like. I want to read it again out of the amplified version of the Bible because it has a, um, a richer understanding of what, looks like, what love looks like. And as I read, I want you to just measure yourself <laughs> against the standard of God's word to see what your individual love life looks like. Okay, verse 4. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful, and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked nor overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into, into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things regardless of what comes, believes all things, looking for the best in each one, hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times, endures all things without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades nor ends. Then Paul goes into verses 8b through 12, which can seem a little bit tricky without taking time to figure out what these verses actually mean. I think the New Living Translation makes it the easiest to understand, so I'm going to read that portion of scripture with some commentary out of the New Living Translation. Verse 8, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. Now, one day when we get up to heaven, we will not need those gifts of prophecy or speaking in tongues anymore. And the reason why we will not need these revelations of God is because we will be face to face with God himself. And so those things will become useless. But love will last forever. Verse 9. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. There is simply no human way for you and I to completely see all of the facets of God while we live here on this earth because he is beyond dimension, and our finite human comprehension just can't get it all. <laughs> we have the gift of prophecy, but even prophecy reveals only part of the picture. It's kind of like this picture that Isaac's going to put up for us here. All right. You probably have some sort of idea of what this picture will reveal. It's probably a pole that comes down from that light, probably in the nighttime, maybe it's on a street, and if you have an even more vivid imagination, maybe you're even picturing a cobblestone street. <laughs> Verse 10, but when the time of perfection comes, 
these partial things will become useless. So Isaac, can you show us the full picture? There it is. Now, how grand is this full picture? When we see God in all of his splendor, we won't need the partial and incomplete any longer. We'll have the perfect and complete picture of God, and we'll have complete knowledge and understanding of him. And let me tell you, it's going to be much grander than anything we could have ever dreamed up or imagined on our own. Verses 11 and 12 further give examples of what these verses are trying to say. First of all, verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. The idea of what Paul is saying here is that right now here on, on earth, we only know a very small part about God, kind of like how a little small child only has a limited knowledge and understanding. However, when we see Jesus face to face, we're going to put those childish ways behind us because we will have grown up into a full understanding of who God is. Verse 12 gives us another example. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. What this is saying is that right now, even through the gifts of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, we still see things imperfectly. And when Paul uses that word mirror, it's important for us to recognize that this was written to um, that day and age. They didn't have clear, crystal clear mirrors like we do today. It was most likely a, a polished metal, maybe a bronze metal that was polished up so that they could see a, a really imperfect reflection of themselves in that mirror. But one day soon, we will see a complete picture of who God is, his ways, his plans, his purposes. And then we will know him completely and perfectly, just like he knows us completely and perfectly. And what a day that will be. Tell your neighbor what a day that'll be. Paul concludes this section in verses 13 and 13 and 14, verse 1, by saying, and now these three things remained, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So, verse, verse 1 of chapter 14, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, next week we'll talk more about the gifts, and so I'm not going to get into that today, but just noticing the context of where this is in the Scripture. In the last verse of chapter 1, or chapter 12, Paul says, I'm showing you the most excellent way. Then in first chapter 13, he tells us and shows us that. And then he ends by saying in chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love. Now that you know what the way of love is, follow it. When I was studying this portion of scripture, the question why kept rolling around in my mind. Two questions, the questions that I shared with you. The first one, simply, why? <laughs> And, of course, this chapter makes it very clear. The why is love. But then I wondered, 
why love? Why is love the motivation? Let's start with the first question, why? If you have a preschooler in your life, you know this question, why, right? You get it asked to you several times a day. Why, why, why? For every who, what, where, when, and how, there's always a why. And in this section of scripture, Paul is giving you and I as the church the why. I want to take a minute and go back to review some of what Paul has taught us thus thus far, what we've been reading out of 1 Corinthians and what we've been receiving teaching on um, as a body. And as we go back and ask some of those questions, review some of what we've learned, let's put it in a why form and then answer it with love, okay? So chapter one, why do we agree with one another and not let division amongst us? Love. Chapter four, why when we are cursed do we bless, when we are persecuted we endure, and when we are slandered we answer kindly? Love. Chapter eight, Why do we be careful that the exercise of our freedoms do not become a stumbling block to the weak? Love. Chapter 9. Why do we become all things to all men so that by all means possible we might reach some? Love. Chapter 10. Why do we seek not our own good but the good of others? Love. Chapter 11. Why do we examine ourselves before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup of communion? Love. And chapter 12, why do we use our gifts to build up the church of Jesus? Love. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is teaching the Corinthian church and the global church, including us right here at Cheney Face Center, that love must be the motivation for all we say and do as the church. Now, if you're taking notes in your journal, this is the big takeaway there at the bottom. Love must be the motivation for all we say and do as the church. Because remember verses 1 to 3. If love isn't our motivation, we're only a distraction. And this world doesn't need any more distractions, does it? The world needs the love, the power of Christ as seen through the church. If love isn't our motivation, we are nothing, we gain nothing, it's useless, it's purposeless, and it has no end result. All we do, corporately and individually, is in vain if we do it without love. Love must be the motivation. So, why? love. And then the second question, why love? Why, of all the motivations that we could have, why is it love that is to be our motivation? Why does Paul call love the most excellent way? And why does he encourage us to follow the way of love? Well, you're probably thinking of a couple reasons in your mind, and I have a few to share with you as well. There's some that are fairly obvious, and one that might be a little less obvious that we're going to get from our text here. First of all, the main reason why love is our motivation is because it was God's motivation, right? 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So if we are God's children and our father God loved as his children, it's really natural that we would do the same, right? And really, that's what he puts in our heart, his agape love, his ability to love others like he has loved us. So first of all, love was God's motivation. Secondly, love is who God is. 1 John 4, 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You could take God and put the equal sign and then the word love, and that would be the equation that we're talking about here. God equals love. And because, again, we are his children, he empowers us to love too. Thirdly, love is what Jesus called or commanded us to do. John 15, 12 to 13, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this to lay down one's life for his friends. By the way, I've known a few um, military men and women who are Jesus-following military men and women who use this verse as their motivation for their service. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Veterans Day is coming up on Wednesday, 11-11, and we as a church want to say thank you to all of our veterans for the love that you have displayed by being willing to lay down your life for your friends in this country. We honor you and we thank you for your love that motivated your service. So we've seen the reason love is our motivation. It was God's motivation, love is who God is, and love is what Jesus has called us to do. Those reasons are fairly obvious. There's a couple other reasons as well. Love is a gift of the Holy, or a fruit of the Holy Spirit, the first one listed. And then also when someone came to Jesus and said, what are the greatest commandments? There were two and they both hinged on love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So here we see lots of reasons why love is our motivation as the church. But there's another reason that is not quite as obvious and it's found in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Here Paul is saying that love is only one of three things that will remain. And that word remain means continue to be, not to perish, to last, and to endure. And Paul says it's the greatest of the three. Could it be that love is the greatest of the three because it is the only one we will need or maybe even use once we enter eternity. Think about it for a minute. What is faith? Faith, hope, and love. So what is faith? Faith is trust in God and in his promises. What is hope? Hope is confident expectation of eternal salvation. Once we get to heaven, 
we're no longer going to need faith and we're no longer going to need hope because we'll be gazing directly upon that which we have had faith in and have hoped for, Jesus himself. One could argue that love is the greatest of the three because it's the only one we will still need or use in heaven. Love goes on forever. And in heaven, we will experience perfect love, both with God and with each other. As I was um, praying over and reviewing my sermon yesterday, the Holy Spirit dropped something in my heart that I think someone might need to hear today. Because when we talk about love, some of us um, look at our relationships or lack thereof, um, and it hurts our hearts when we talk about love. So there's some people here today that need to hear, or maybe listening, that need to hear. If you have an earthly relationship that is loveless, or if you have a broken heart, because of a lack of love, I encourage you to hold on tight. One day, you will be experiencing nothing but whole and perfect love for all eternity. God sent Jesus so we could get just a little foretaste of that love here on earth. But it will be complete in heaven. So I encourage you to hold on. The final reason why love is our motivation is because it covers over a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. That word cover, another way it could be translated is pardons. Love pardons. And then that Greek word for multitude is where we get our English word plethora. <laughs> okay, plethora meaning an abundance or a profusion. So another way we could say this verse is above all love each other deeply because love pardons a plethora of sins. <laughs> love pardons a plethora of sins. A plethora of sin is what was heaped on Jesus when he was on the cross. And we can pardon others' sins because Jesus already paid for them. Jesus' love did that for us on the cross, and he is asking us to do that for one another. And Jesus is asking some of us here today to increase our pardon quotient. <laughs> I've been thinking about something for the past many months during this really crazy time that we find ourselves living in. And I've been thinking about what it looks like to be a true follower or disciple of Christ. Because that's our goal. Our goal is to be a true follower, a true disciple of Christ. So what does that look like? What does that look like to be a true follower of Christ? John 13, 35 says this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, dot, dot, dot. 
It's not by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, what political party you belong to. It's not by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, how you voted in the 2020 election. No, it's by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Could it be that the Christian that is the most like Christ is not the one who knows the most, not the one who has the most spiritual gifts, not even the one who has known Christ the longest, but rather the one who loves the most. That's our challenge as the church, and those are our marching orders straight from the mouth of Jesus to us. And let me tell you, church, we are up for the task. We are up for the task. We're going to end our time together this morning singing that song that the worship team led us in earlier, One Thing Remains, because that's the bottom line here. The, the greatest of these is love. Love is what remains. And I'm going to invite you, you can either stand or sit or kneel, um, get on your face before God if that's what you need to do. But as we sing, I have a couple action steps for you to do. <clears throat> and they're personal just between you and Jesus. The first one is just soak it in and thank God for his love. Thank God that he sent Jesus to demonstrate the true love of Christ. Then do some examination. We already did that with communion, but do some examination and ask for forgiveness for areas in your life where love hasn't been your motivation. I, I know in my own life there's areas where love has not been my motivation or there's been people or situations, times where I haven't loved. Then thirdly, just ask God to fill you with his love for people in this church, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and for people in our community and then outward from there. Because truly, what the world needs now is love. Sing this. I have in the mountains that I face is stronger than the power of the grave. Constant in the trial and the change of one thing remains. One thing remains. And your love never fails. Your love never fails. It never gives up. Never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, never runs out on me. Oh, your love. Sing on and on.
promise for your love. It never fails. Your love is strong. Your love is forgiving. Your love is kind and merciful. Your love does not delight in wrong. Your love perseveres. Your love will remain. Jesus, it's our prayer as your followers that we would be known for our love. May your love just settle upon us. May we know how well we are loved because well-loved people love well. And we want to love others well in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. One of the amazing things about God's love is that love always wins. God's love always wins. Jesus loves you very much, and so do Mark and I. Have a great week, and let love be the motivation for all you say and do. God bless.